have two verses to read from another text as we get started today in this message. So the Bible tells us in Psalm 12, 6, and 7, you'll be in James 1, don't worry about this, it's just foundational. But in Psalm 12, 6, and 7, the Bible says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Amen? Amen? We, we, we see that the, the words of our God, the words of this Bible before you today, are pure, pure words, not only pure words, but they have been purified seven times. When something is purified, you don't add more of what's in there. Say, when silver is purified, you don't add more silver, you just remove the drosh so the silver can be seen more clearly, amen. So I want to speak to you this morning on the topic of pure worship, A pure worship. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be laying down a few uh, uh, topics out of the book of James, speaking of that which is pure. And our text will come from James chapter 1, verses uh, 22 through 27 today, primarily focusing in on the last verse. And the Bible says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and, and, uh, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, which... Uh, and not hearers only, deceive in your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his ways, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now, beloved, we understand that God's word is pure. As a matter of fact, we understand it to be purified, Perfect and preserved. But how does God view and define pure religion? I don't like the word religion, but it's in the Bible, amen? The reason I don't like the word religion is because mankind has distraught and has malaligned. They have perverted that word religion. That's why. And that's why we say that religion is man-made, but a relationship is the Lord Jesus Christ. But we have come up with that idea and that thought as a result to uh, defend ourselves from the high churches of religion, the false doctrine of Catholicism, the vileness of Anglicanism. That's why we have come away from that word religion, amen? Because to be religious is something you do repetitively, we understand. But it is in the Bible. It, it's in the Bible. We're reading it here today. And the epistle of James is one of the most practical books ever found in the New Testament. In, the, in this final verse here, verse 27, James attempts to define what pure religion is in the eyes of God. Religion, by definition, is great devotion of faith or practice. Religion here in James 1, 27, uh, means the external patterns of behavior connected with a religious belief. It is referring to the outer expression of belief in worship and service. Not the doctrines taught and or believed, 
Now, me saying that, your outward worship, your outward service will only be as pure as the doctrines that you were taught and the doctrines that you believe. Never forget this. If you adhere to a false doctrine, you will not have pure worship, but rather a false worship. Amen. Thus, religion has to do with our worship manifested in the outward through our acts of service. It is that simple here this morning. Now, according to the first law of mention, worship is associated with sacrifice. And this is another word that has been perverted in our modern times. But in Genesis 22 and verse 5, it says, And Abraham said unto a young man, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Now, we know Genesis 22. We've studied it. We've preached it. We've heard it. We know what was going to happen. God had commanded Abraham to take him up to a hill that he was going to show him. That mountain ended up being Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah ended up being the same place that Jerusalem was placed. And in my heart and my mind, I believe he took him up to the identical place where Jesus Christ was crucified because Isaac becomes a picture of Jesus Christ, the son. Now, we know they, they're, they're making their way up the mountain, and, and he's, uh, you know, Isaac sees the fire. Uh, he sees the, uh, the wood, and he sees all of this and that, the knife and everything they need. But he says, where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb? And Abraham's response was, God will provide himself a lamb. You see, beloved, how, how can we really worship God through our outward acts? Abraham has proven this point that true worship was going to occur through sacrifice of some sort. Pure worship is an outpouring of our genuine faith in God. And then it is an expression of how we relate to God and others. I want you to think on it on these terms. How, how we think of God is revealed in how we relate to Him. And how we relate to God is revealed in His creation of how we relate to our fellow mankind. James, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, stresses a concern of widows and orphans here, keeping ourselves clean as a true measure of obedience, pleasing to God. Now, this is the responsibility given to Israel in the Old Testament. This we understand, but it reflects concerning the concerns of God himself. Now, as for Abraham, we understand very clearly what happened that day. He is a picture, we find, of where the foundation and truth and definition of what worship was to be, that it is associated somehow with sacrifice. True worship is going to cost you something. Salvation costs you nothing, but costs Jesus Christ everything. But if you're going to worship God, you're going to have to put away some things in your life and put some things in there if you're going to worship Him truly and purely today. For the church, James leads leads up to defining what pure religion is. But before James does so, he's already rebuked those who were mere hearers of the word and did nothing. In verses 22 through 25, he says, But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man, beholding his natural face in the glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgiveth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty continue therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. He, he rebukes people for hearing and not doing. One of the most disheartening things for a pastor is to week after week after week preach the word of God and preach on things that we as the church should be doing and to see folk in the pew still not doing them, amen. 
still not serving God, still not being faithful to him in his house, still not praying, still not reading, still not doing the things that they should be doing in their Christian life. And this is what James is saying by way of uh, the Holy Spirit of God. He's saying, you're hearing all these things, but you're not doing them, amen. He rebukes those who do something as well without having an inner conversion. So first off, he rebukes those who are hearing, yet not doing, then he turns to rebuke those uh, who are doing something, but they're doing something without an inner conversion in their life. He sees this in the, the next two verses. If any, man, uh, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue. So in other words, he's doing something and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth, deceiveth his own heart. This man's religion is vain, he says. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now, before you think today that if you go visit widows and orphans and uh, keep yourself clean from the world, that's all of this in a nutshell. Guys, these are a generalization you need to understand. It ain't three tick boxes that you got to do. These are your actions in this world today of how we live and treat others, especially ourselves. So in keeping with this emphasis of genuine faith, and, uh, which is genuine faith is a result of, will result in good works, James gives us three key parts of pure worship. And one of the first things that we see here, guys, is an abstinence. An abstinence, okay? And this is an abstinence of speaking evil of others. You see this in verse 26. He says, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. We are to restrain our tongues, my friend. We are to bridle our speech. The words which come out of our mouth, uh, speaking evil of others, needs to be tamed. Let me ask you this question here this morning. Are you know, what, what are you known for today? In your life, are you known for compliments or complaints? Think about it now. And don't dismiss this question. Don't switch me off. When someone is expecting your company, are they wonder what fine, kind, uplifting words that you were going to say? Or are they expecting a complaint, a moan, a mouth filled of negativity? In either case, what people expect is usually what they're going to get from you. If you are a complainer, and my friend, I'm just going to, guys, I know I'm just making it raw this morning. In my experience, and, and not only in the ministry, but in life in general, those that complain the most are doing the least. And my answer back to them is, I like the way that I'm doing it better than the way that you're not doing it. Amen? I'll stick with this way. But guys, if you are expected to complain, I'm sure you've never let them down. My friend... If that be the case, your religion is vain. Let me say this to you. A religion which has not changed you is a religion that has not saved you. That's what James is saying. My dad, you know, my dad, my dad always said that a drunk man's words is a sober man's thoughts. Now, before you think I'm jumping on alcohol again, I'm happy to jump on alcohol every Sunday. I'm happy to do it, okay? Because you're so foolish to drink, you're just dumber, dumber than a bag of hammers. I'm just going to say that, okay? But what we look at when I'm saying this about drunk, we're talking about sobriety here in a minute or clear thinking. So the first thing that is affected under the influence of alcohol is judgment. And this is why so many people make choices which affect their life, their, their life negatively for the rest of their days. 
decisions otherwise would have been avoided and abstinence of those decisions. But the Bible tells us, therefore, says, therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. This is not a direct statement toward drinking alcohol. This is the direct statement of having a clear way of thinking to be in your right mind. Now, we understand when you drink alcohol, even if it is one sip, you know, for the New Year's Eve, you are not going to think clear. One, one drop of alcohol, that poison in your body, affects your way of judgment. Maybe not for so long, but it affects you. So when we find here what, 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 uh, what is being said by Paul, therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. He's telling us to be sober, is to be, have clear thinking, to be in our right mind, to be aware, to be alert of our surroundings. Peter goes on to tell us that be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he may devour. If our mind is clouded by envy or other things, we cannot be awake and alert to the surroundings around us. And therefore, we will be devoured by the enemy. We must be sober in order to be vigilant and to be aware of what is going on in our life today. Beloved, when wolves attack, they attack in packs. Not that you would ever be in a situation where a wolf's going to attack you, but let's just say you are. If you see the one wolf, right, the one that you see is not the one you need to worry about. The one that is in your line of sight is there for one singular purpose, and is that, that is for you to see him or her. They want you to see them, so you focus on them and be distracted by the rest of the pack that is getting ready to attack and kill. They're flanking you. And this is the way sin works, my friend. We are commanded to have an abstinence, if you will, to, to, uh, to, to bridle our tongues lest we deceive our own hearts. As a matter of fact, 1 Thessalonians tells us in chapter 5 and in verse 22, I think I put it up there, maybe not, says abstain from all appearances of evil. You guys, you guys missed that one, but uh, every day, can I say this to you this morning? Every single day, reputations and lives are ruined because of a simple failure to avoid the appearance of evil. When Paul writes the, the, his first letter to the, to the church of Thessalonica, he doesn't say abstain from evil. He said abstain from all appearances of evil. Is it fair? No. No, it's not fair. I had a friend of mine contact me uh, the other day asking me a question about a, a, a verse in the book of Proverbs, asking me what it means to, to, to me. And it's uh, Proverbs chapter 20 that says, uh, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and he that is deceived thereby is not wise. I said, well, the after effect of, of being deceived of alcohol is in the latter part of the is in the front end of the verse. Uh, wine is a mocker. It's going to make fun of you of your demise. It is raging. It's going to remove all inhibitions. But the fore the, the part of that, the front end, making the decision to partake in that, proves that if you're partaking in it, you're not wise. We went a step further, Proverbs 23, it says that, you know, to look not on the wine when it turneth the right, when it changeth color. That's the fermentation process. You know what Solomon is telling us? You shouldn't even be around it. 
I think, you know, it's always, it's always, uh, I don't want to say amazed me, but people are so proud of that vile drink, aren't they? Look at them in a picture. What's the first thing they do when they have it in their hand? They stick it up. Look at what I have. I got a bottle of poison that I'm putting in my body and killing myself. And guys, you surround yourself with that garbage. And you go out and you sit at a table and everybody's got a, a drink in their hand. And maybe you don't. It's an appearance of evil. And your reputation can be destroyed because of it. I don't, guys, I don't care about culture. I think you guys have been here long enough to know I could care less what culture says. Okay? Culture and the word of God, when they go against one another, I'm going with the word of God. Amen? So no, I don't want to be sat next to some drunk who's filling his body or her body up with a poison and be connected to them. Amen. It says abstain from all appearances of evil. Now there's going to be people that hear this message. They're going to hear it online. They're going to hear it in person. They're going to listen to what I'm saying. And they're going to walk right out. They're going to make a stupid decision. Their reputation is going to be tarnished in some way, shape, form, or fashion. And they're going to sit around and go, well, man, I just don't know what happened. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Is it fair? No, it's not fair. Is it real? 100% real. It is the reality that you and I have to live with in this life today. And we can say, hey, it's my life. I'll do whatever I want to do. To what avail? What purpose? What are you proving to not abstain in this world today from all appearances of evil? To not have an abstinence in your life today? To not bridle your tongue? What are you proving? Because every day, people's character are being assassinated because of the envy of other people. Outright lies and assumptions. As a believer, guys, we must do all we can do to abstain from adding fuel to the fire. If they're going to lie, let them lie about something that doesn't have even the possibility of truth in people's eyes. This is the temptation of the Christian life. This is wherein lies pure uh, pure religion, pure worship. Whereas the wolves of, of bitterness and envy and covetous, etc., are in our life and they begin to circle us as believers today, when we are distracted by that bitterness, when we are uh, when we're trying to tempt us to speak evil of others and evil speaking attacks, uh, guys, uh, it, it's, it's the winds. It wins the victory by our distraction, thus losing our sobriety of our mind and the words which may only be in our thoughts, proceed out of our mouth. Peter said this, but the end of all things is at hand. He said, be you therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Beloved, the reality is the days are close and we are not to waste our time in petty issues, robbing us from the peace which passeth all understanding. We cannot have peace in our life. And pure worship when we speak evil of others and refuse to abstain. Secondly, James speaks of our actions. I know that's already up there. This is a practical concern for others. Look at verse 27, the first part. It says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. Beloved, pure worship is reflected in the practical acts of concern for those in need. 
So it doesn't have to be a widow. That's an Old Testament principle. It doesn't have to be an orphan. That's an Old Testament principle. It is not the local church to tend to those, as so many people have, have uh, 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 misinterpreted that is the local church's responsibility. It is simply those in need. And believe you me, there are more people in need in the world today than just orphans and widows. We live in a world where people are in need every single day. Worship is more than attending church, but at least for some of us, we need to be in church more often. It is more than prayer. It is more than praise. Pure worship, pure religion is seen and known in the exercising of practical acts of concerns for others. Concern, guys, is rooted in compassion. Compassion is to be moved in one's bowels with sympathy to experience another person's misfortune. It's going to cost you something. It's going to come with a price. It's going to hurt. And it's one thing to see someone in need. It's far more another thing to be moved into acts of concern toward them. Worship, remember, is associated with sacrifice. Abraham was willing to give up all he loved for God to know there was nothing between uh, he and him. But on the top of all of that, Abraham knew that the covenant lied with Isaac, that God promised the covenant of, of those that would come after him to be through his seed, his son, his only son, Isaac, amen, the Lord says. He knew that even if, even if the sacrifice did go through, he believed in all of his heart God was faithful and would re re resurrect him from the dead. He said, God will provide himself a lamb, and he did. That's faith, my friend. That's more than just faith. That's faith with legs. That's actions. And we are all responsible for those. Lastly, we are instructed. We are instructed an avoidance. There should be an avoidance in our life of willful sin. The end part of verse 27 says, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now, guys, I'm one of those people who I like things square and true. Um, when lines don't line up, when you're trying to uh, line up machines or line something up and, and it just doesn't go straight, it, it, it really eats at me. It bothers me. It, I, I, I get distracted by those silly little things. And I'm much better now than I was many, many, many years ago. But it's like when things are just out of proportion, it really plays with my head. But I go to the grocery store, you know. Now, in my perfect opinion, not my opinions are perfect, but my perfect assumption, I think the way the world ought to operate, I think you ought to walk on one side of the deal and stay on it, amen? And then you walk on the other side of the deal. No, we don't do that here, do we? We don't do it anywhere. It's like somebody kicked over an anthill in Tesco, and everybody's going all over the place, and it plays with my head. First off, I don't know where anything is in any store there is on the planet. I was in the States one time. I had to call Denise to find out where something was in Walmart over there. I don't know where anything is, and I go back and forth scurrying uh, within, uh, within the store. But it drives my head. It drives me. We're just, we seem to be just going all over the place, bumping into one another. And I look at it as we go through uh, with the trolleys and we go through the grocery store. We're just avoiding one another, uh, trying not to hit one another, running other people's feet over and hit their ankles just to get the item that we want. And it made me think the other day, what if we avoided sin, willful sin? What if we avoided willful sin in our life like we avoid the people in Tesco and Asa. Moving here, moving there, you know, 
putting a little move on it and getting out of the way, not letting it get to us. You know, I got to get to that product. We go left, go right, go left, go right. I got it. Now I'm getting back in my lane. What if we did that? What if we put as much effort in our life to avoid willful sin as we do to avoid getting hit in the shins by the trolley at Tesco? Keep ourselves pure from sin. God is looking for practical type of godliness. Not a religious hocus pocus with some fairy in a, in a gown and a hat t- 10 feet tall. That's not what God's looking for. God's not looking for what man has created and perverted, calling it religion in this world today. He's looking for a practical type of godliness, which takes a compassionate interest in others and keeps one's life clean, even in the appearance thereof of sin. Better defined, he's looking for an act of grace and a walk of separation. And this happens when both pure love, pure holiness is evidence in our lives. This happens when true, pure worship begins to abound in our life. This happens when there is an abstinence and an action in our life and then the avoidance of sin. I know one of the verses that we've hammered as of late, and I believe Denise may have used it yesterday in Ladies' Devotion, but in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, I used it in Faith Rx a week ago. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure. Amen? He goes on to say lovely and good, a good report, virtue. He says, think on these. If you want to be pure in your worship today, you're going to have to use that brain for something more than just a filler between our ears. You're going to have to think. You're going to have to get proactive. No one can do it for you, and no one should do it for you. We need to get proactive in the purity of our hearts and our minds, our compassion in this life, our pure worship should be seen in our actions of kindness and deeds in the world today. It should be seen in our, our, our avoidance of sin, our abstinence from all appearances of evil. Our new identity in Christ, guys, is thus evident in the ways that we take care of one another, reaching even the most frail and vulnerable among us. Who are the most needy in your life who need help? Don't call somebody else to do it. You do it, amen? Pure worship is, is the heart and the hands of those who care and love one another in the way that Jesus Christ loved us. Jesus Christ said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So that comes down to the question today as we work to close. Are you worshiping him in spirit, and are you worshiping him in truth? The way God views and defines pure worship is when his character is reflected through our practical lives, which are exemplified by our abstinence, our actions, and our avoidance. How much we're willing to bridle our tongue. How much we're willing to avoid the appearance of evil. How much we're willing to put forth our faith in our feet and get out there and get busy, not only sharing the gospel of truth with those that are lost today, but those who simply need help in this world. The most vulnerable, the most in need, and what you're willing to avoid in these lives. This is the challenge which should guide us how to live before God, how to live before man. And this is pure worship. Will you bow your heads this morning?
Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and time to be together. We thank you for this message today. We pray that each one of us will take it on board, that we take it in our hearts, in our minds. That, Lord, we allow it to take root inside of our hearts, Lord, our souls. That we would look to remain pure, Lord, not just in one or two areas of our life, but in every aspect of our days. That we be not distracted by the wolves of envy and bitterness. That, Lord, we remain steadfast, focusing upon you. That we become better than we were yesterday. That we just continue to strive in our life to please you. We ask these things in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ, my Lord and personal Savior today. Amen.